scripture reading this morning is from Acts chapter 7. Starting verse 54, I'm going to be reading the stoning of Stephen. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged. And they ground their teeth at him, but he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at them. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Father in heaven, I ask that you would give us more of your Holy Spirit that focuses our hearts on Christ Jesus. That you would make us faithful witnesses. That you would remove from us anything false. That you would help us to live without hypocrisy. And I pray that you would do this work in us through the word that we are about to hear in the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of Jesus. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would it be all right if just for a moment I talked about a Christmas movie in the month of June? All right, so this past Christmas, I was so excited because my kids are getting old enough, I can now start showing them some of my favorite movies. So Lauren and I sat down around Christmas time and we watched Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol with our kids. Or, to be a little bit more accurate, we watched the Muppets version where Gonzo plays Charles Dickens the narrator and Rizzo the rat is his faithful little companion. I, I asked Isaac, because Isaac sits in the service that we have at nine, and I said, you guys love that rat, right? And they both kind of nodded, yeah. We all remember Scrooge, especially in Holly, because of the Dickens Festival, but Scrooge is just kind of a cultural icon, a money-grubbing, hard-hearted, mean-spirited old man. But do you remember what the spirit of Christmas past showed Scrooge about who he was as a young man? Think especially of that young man who has fallen in love with Clara. Do you remember Clara? She, she is the clerk's daughter. And Scrooge, as a young man, before he's hard-hearted and mean, has fallen in love with this young girl. And yet, as his heart grows warm towards gold... It grows cold towards Clara, his girlfriend. And the tragedy is, he is completely unaware. 
He is self-deceived. He thinks that he still loves her, but he's wrong. You might remember the scene where she says to him, I don't know who you are anymore. And he gets defensive and and he, he describes how he has worked hard so that he can make a home for her. And he has become the man who is willing to evict the poor and repossess houses so that they can have a comfortable, enjoyable life. And in doing that, he becomes a man she cannot love. And in fact, he says to her, I love you. But he's wrong. He doesn't. And she knows it. She knows he has become the sort of man she cannot love. So when he says to her, I've done all of this for you, she says, no. You've done all of this for yourself. When he says, I love you, his actions prove that in just a single word, he is a hypocrite. His self-deception is what makes hypocrisy such a frightening thing. See, we all know that Scrooge is a hard-hearted, mean-spirited, greedy old man. Yet... Scrooge didn't know it. He was self-deceived. And if you look at Luke, the book that we have been going through for so long, last week we saw Jesus confront the religious leaders of the day. He confronted the Pharisees and the scribes, and they were self-deceived. They would say, we love God. And God would say to them, no, you don't. And they would say to God, we have done everything for you. And God would say to them, no, you've done it all for yourselves. And so, while we can be thankful that Scrooge is fiction, he is fiction that cuts awfully close to my heart and your heart, if we're honest. You see, last week, Jesus talked to the scribes and the Pharisees, and we could perhaps take some comfort that it doesn't seem as if he's addressing us in particular. But this week, as we continue through the Gospel of Luke, we are in Luke chapter 12, and Jesus turns to the disciples and he says, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Because the hypocrisy of the scribes and the Pharisees was a danger for the disciples that they would also become hypocritical. And it's a danger for me, and it's a danger for you. That you would think that you were doing what was right, and in reality, you're nothing more than a hypocrite. Completely self-deceived, completely unaware, serving yourself and thinking that you're serving God. So this morning, Jesus says some words to his disciples to help them guard against this sin. And so this morning, I want to offer you five reasons from our text to be 
extremely careful to avoid hypocrisy. And that's, that's kind of the negative way of saying it. It's a warning of something that's dangerous. I'm saying, don't be a hypocrite. But there's a positive way to do this too. And I want to emphasize that as well. Not only should you not be a hypocrite, but positively, you should be a faithful witness for Christ. It's like thinking of Scrooge for a second. Not, it's not enough to say, Scrooge, don't be greedy, don't be mean. Positively, he should have loved the young woman with genuine, sincere love. And that is our calling as well this morning. So as I give you five reasons, five warnings to avoid the sin of hypocrisy, I'm also giving you five reasons, five warnings to pursue faithful love of Christ that's genuine, that will faithfully witness for Christ in both words and actions. So that's the theme, that's the topic of this message, what we're going to see in Luke chapter 12. If you haven't turned there already, I would urge you, open your Bibles. If you didn't bring one this morning, that's fine. We've got a number of them under the seats in this room. Grab one. I believe you'll be enormously helped by seeing the verses in the text. And here is why. Before I go straight through this text and preach like I always do, I've done this once before, there is a verse in this passage that is very difficult and confusing. It causes a lot of people fear and a lot of people anxiety, and so I want to deal with that now so that when we come to it, we can continue talking about reasons to avoid hypocrisy and reasons to be a faithful witness. So before we go, starting in verse 1... Let me tell you about verse 10. So we're in Luke chapter 12. I'd encourage you to find it. Follow along with me. Jesus is talking about the possibility of denying the Son of Man in verse 9. Verse 10, he says, Everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Maybe one of the most terrifying verses in all of the Bible because we believe in a gospel of grace. We believe that God loves to forgive sinners as they repent. And yet here this verse comes jumping off the pages of scripture saying there's a sin you can commit that God will not forgive. Some of you have heard of this and wondered about it. Some of you have never heard of this and maybe you're surprised You're like, how can there be a sin that God won't forgive? I thought God was someone who always forgave. So if that's you this morning, my hope is to encourage you. Not that it's impossible for you to commit this sin. It may be possible, and we'll talk a little bit about that. But instead, that when you repent, God will always forgive you. So let me explain what this is and and why it is a genuine warning to me and to you, and how we can find hope and assurance in the forgiveness and mercy and grace of God. First, we need to talk about what blasphemy is. It's a word that we rarely, if ever, use, and we never use it seriously in our culture today. But within the text, you have a good hint, a good indication of what it means, because Jesus says, everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. You get the sense that those two sins are parallel. They are similar, if not identical. 
So speaking a word against the Son of Man, in this context, he's talking about a public testimony where you're called to stand and say if you know Jesus or not. And in their time and in their place, that was in a court of law. So you're on trial. Jesus says when you're on trial, everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. You can be forgiven for saying the wrong thing about Jesus. Peter was. I'll say more about that in just a moment. But then he says, the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, so in other words, the one who speaks a word against the Holy Spirit, will not be forgiven. And you have to wonder, what does that mean? Is it a simple statement? How do you speak a word against the Holy Spirit while you're on trial for Christ? And what exactly is he talking about here? How can we, how can we find assurance that we may not commit this sin? Well, I believe that we need to look at a couple examples from Scripture. I've already mentioned Peter as an example of someone who denied Christ. Maybe you remember the story before Jesus goes to the cross. He tells Peter plainly, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows tomorrow. And Peter says, never. And then sure enough, as Peter is put in different situations after Jesus has been hauled off and Jesus is on trial and he's being led around, made a mockery of, three different times someone says, aren't you with Jesus? And three different times Peter says, no. He plainly denies the Lord. Scripture mentions it multiple times. And yet, exactly what Jesus said, that everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, Peter has genuine remorse. It says right in the text, as soon as the rooster crows, he weeps bitterly. He is deeply grieved by what he has done because he loves Jesus. And you can see his love in the remorse that he has after his betrayal. And Peter finds forgiveness. He goes on to serve the Lord faithfully and, and rest in the forgiveness and the mercy that Jesus personally gave him. So Peter's not guilty of committing a sin against the Holy Spirit just because he did, at a time of weakness and fear, speak against Christ. If that's the case, then who is? And I'd encourage you to think for just a moment about what the Holy Spirit does. See, in this context, Jesus is saying to believers that the Holy Spirit will teach you what to say when you are called to testify for Christ. So before this message, I read from the book of Acts about how Stephen was called to testify in the power of the Holy Spirit. He preaches a fantastic sermon. It's, it would be too long to read the entire chapter, but the Holy Spirit fulfills this promise in the mouth of Stephen. He speaks boldly in power by the Holy Spirit, telling the people who have put him on trial who Jesus is, what Jesus did, what they should do as a result. And all of that is done as the Holy Spirit speaks through him. And the people who are hearing it would have heard a ministry of the Holy Spirit. As the Holy Spirit testifies to Christ that he is the Son of God, that he is our Savior. And those men heard through Stephen, through the Holy Spirit, a message of Jesus Christ. And they hated it. 
They literally gnashed their teeth, grabbed Stephen, dragged him outside the city, and killed him. They murdered him by stoning him. And you would think, all right, they have heard the Holy Spirit speak through the mouth of Stephen. Maybe they are guilty of this sin. Perhaps they are guilty of speaking a word against the Holy Spirit because they killed the man who the Spirit was using. And if you remember the text, said they put their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. So I want to remind you who Saul becomes. Saul, by the grace and mercy of Jesus, becomes the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul wrote many of the books of the New Testament. He's a missionary that traveled all over the ancient world and spread the good news of Jesus Christ. And he was one of the people who approved of the murder of Stephen. And he heard Stephen speaking under the inspiration and power of the Holy Spirit. And Paul found mercy and forgiveness. And here's how he describes it. This is in his own words from a letter that he wrote to a young man named Timothy. Paul said, Though formerly I was a blasphemer. He uses the word. He blasphemed Christ. And this is how he did it. He was a persecutor. He blasphemed Christ not only in words, but in actions, by trying to silence people who talked about the hope we have in Jesus Christ. It says, I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and insolent opponent. Insolent means that he was disrespectful, that he hated Jesus. And then he says this, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly. In unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So when God's grace overflowed for Paul, he came to faith and loved the very Jesus that he had hated so much before. The most important phrase in this verse that helps us understand what's happening is he says, I received mercy. Because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. You know what that means? In one sense, you would say, Paul, you weren't ignorant. You heard Stephen's whole message. How could you say I was ignorant? And yet, what Paul writes in his other letters, he describes how all of us are blinded by the God of this world. How Satan keeps us in a state of darkness. So you can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it goes in one ear and out the other, and never changes you. You can have an intellectual understanding of what it means. Oh, Jesus died for my sins and rose from the dead, and your heart is cold and dead, and you don't know what it means in a spiritual sense. Paul writes about that in most of his letters. The idea that we are spiritually dead until the Holy Spirit opens our eyes and lets us see the glory of Christ. So what I want to say to you is that those men and the Apostle Paul They did not commit blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, even as they stoned a man speaking in the power of the Spirit. So are you worried that maybe you've committed this sin? I I don't want to say that it's impossible. I want to hold out the possibility that you may, and I'll show you how, and I'll show you why. But I also want to give you incredible comfort and hope. See, Paul says he acted ignorantly in unbelief. If he had tasted the Holy Spirit, if he had by the power of the Spirit, had his eyes opened to who Jesus was, 
is and, and had known what he was doing, then I believe he would not have been forgiven that he would have committed this sin. And I'll show you why I say that. So there's a passage in the book of Hebrews that I think makes this incredibly plain. And if you can find Hebrews, if you can't, don't feel bad. Uh, I just want to turn there real quickly. Hebrews chapter 6, I believe, describes exactly what Jesus is talking about when he mentions blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So Hebrews chapter 6, I'm just going to read verses 4 through 6. The whole chapter is enormously helpful. So if you have questions about this and you want to read more about it later, read all of Hebrews chapter 6 and we can talk. But for now, let me just read verses 4 through 6. The writer says, For it is impossible... In the case of those who have once been enlightened. So pause. Paul said he was forgiven because he acted in ignorance. In other ways, in other words, he was in darkness. This is not someone who is in darkness. This is someone who has been enlightened. Their, their spiritual eyes are open. And then this is what they do. They have tasted the heavenly gift. They know that God is good. He is sweet. They have shared in the Holy Spirit, verse 5, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away. It is impossible to restore those people again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. The writer of Hebrews holds out the possibility you can know who Jesus is, taste him, understand the goodness and the power of God, and walk away. And if you do that, you will never again repent. There is both terror and comfort in that idea. Terror because it's possible to sin to a point where God will not forgive you. And comfort because if your heart is moved to repentance, you know that God will forgive you and you are not one of those people. Where am I getting that? He he says, because it's impossible for you to repent. And I'll give you an example of exactly what the scriptures are talking about. So at the end of the book of Hebrews, the writer says this about someone from the Old Testament named Esau. Esau is a biblical example of someone who was familiar with the blessings of God, but never partook in them. And here is why. The writer is saying to the church, Make sure that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright and that birthright was his path to blessing. He sold his birthright for a single meal. Verse 17, For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. In other words, he recognized the goodness of what he was going to miss out on and he wanted that blessing, but he could not bring himself to repent because his heart was full of love for other things. Esau is an example of someone who understands the goodness of God, but he's no longer able to repent. He can't bring himself to it. Even though he seeks the blessing with tears, 
His heart is incapable of repentance. So there's huge warning there for you and for me, especially if you come here today and you're not sure if you're a Christian, if you don't know if you're following the Lord yet, if you've never experienced the forgiveness of your sins, you've never been baptized and and shown that you want to follow in obedience to Jesus, if you've not made a commitment to Jesus, this scripture, this idea is warning you, you've heard the gospel of Jesus You don't know if the Holy Spirit has opened your eyes yet, but if he has, and you are resisting that gospel, and you are not repenting of your sins, you are not following in obedience to Jesus, you are in danger of hardening your heart. And you don't know when you'll get to a point where, like Esau, you long for the blessings of God, but you no longer have access to them because you can't even repent anymore. Scripture would say to you in the words of Hebrews, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Because if you do, there's a possibility you'll never have an opportunity to repent ever again. Because if the Holy Spirit has opened your eyes and you reject him, you would be shaming Jesus Christ if you tried to come again to him. And that will never happen. That's what blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is. I want to encourage you and comfort you that if you are afraid that God will extend mercy to you. But I want to warn you, do not dismiss the clear presentation of the gospel. If you know you're a sinner, ask God to forgive you and do not put that off. It is absolutely deadly to reject the invitation of God to experience his forgiveness and his blessing. That's what Christ is talking about. Now, I've spent most of my time explaining that one verse. Let's go through five reasons to avoid the deadly sin of hypocrisy. And we will move quickly. I don't want to, you don't need to be concerned. Number one, Jesus says to you and to me, guard your heart against hypocrisy because there are no secrets. Not finally, not ultimately, there are no secrets. Look with me at verses 1 through 3. It says, In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, Jesus began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, Whatever you have said in the dark, you shall be heard in the light. And whatever you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Jesus gives this warning to him at a time when his ministry is growing. There are thousands of people. It's almost comical the way Luke describes it. There were so many thousands of people that they were trampling one another, trying to get to Jesus. And when things are great, Jesus looks at his disciples and says... Hypocrisy is a temptation for you right now. You've got thousands of people looking at you, and the temptation is to put on a show, to pretend like you've got it together, to pretend like you are a good person, but that's not what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Being a follower of Jesus means living a life of constant repentance where as God shows you your sin, you ask for his forgiveness, and you experience constant joy in that. It's not a morbid thing. But if we're going to be real with each other, we can't put on a show and act like we're all good people all the time. Jesus says, do not be a hypocrite. 
Recognize you are in front of these people. You need to recognize nothing that you think is secret will be secret forever. Everything that you've done in private one day will come to public. You see this in in truth. Anyone who runs for office, right? Anytime someone runs for public office, immediately thousands of people go digging for dirt and very often they find it. Things they thought were buried, that were done, that were secret, that no one knew. All of a sudden, the whole world knows. But it's also true for us. We don't know when, we don't know where. Maybe in this life, if not in this life, in the next. Jesus says, there are no secrets, so don't put on a show. Don't pretend like you're better than you are. Don't try to hide your sins. Confess them. Admit your fault. And as you lead, and and I would say this to parents, but I would also say this, just as you're a faithful witness, the best way that you can witness for Jesus is not by pretending to be perfect or pretending like you have no sins, but by being honest about your sins and the grace of God who has forgiven you. So parents, if you've made dumb decisions in your life in the past, at the right time and in the right place, be honest with your kids about it. You don't have to hide that. Kids, and this is something that Pastor Lucer once said to me, he said, kids will forgive a lot, but they will never forgive hypocrisy. Be honest, and be honest about the grace of God that you've experienced. So number one, the reason that we shouldn't be a hypocrite is because there are no secrets. There's no point in it. Your show is not going to work. Number two, you ought to fear God. Look at what Jesus says in verses four or five. He says, I tell you, my friends, Do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more they can do. But I warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. It's a terrifying verse. Jesus is saying, you ought to be afraid of God with a holy fear because if you die in your sins, you will be condemned to hell. If, as you're taken on trial, and Jesus has always been clear with his his disciples that one day they would be persecuted just like he was, if you deny Christ because you are afraid of the people around you, and this this happens in school. If you're afraid of being a Christian at school because the people around you know that Christians are, are supposedly judgmental, and some of them are, if you're afraid of being associated with Jesus, Jesus says you're afraid of the wrong person. Don't be afraid of the people around you, even if they could kill you. And no one in our culture and in our society can get away with murder for this. Even if they could, Jesus said they have no power to cast your soul into hell. There's no reason to be afraid of another person. Instead, be afraid of the God who can cast your soul into hell. Be faithful to him. Be faithful to Jesus. The Father loves Jesus. The Father's not going to be pleased If you deny him. But even for that, Jesus says, there is forgiveness. There is mercy. Just recognize who you should fear and be afraid of and who has no power over you ultimately. Be set free and be a faithful witness. Don't be a hypocrite. You ought to fear God. Not only ought you to fear God, though, and I'm so thankful for these next verses. Verses 6 and 7 show this God that you ought to fear is a father who loves you. Look at what he says in verses 6 and 7. He says, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? They're, they're, they're practically worthless. They're, they're cheap. 
Not one of them is forgotten before God. That was true in Jesus' day. That is true of the sparrows that are on our lawn this morning. God knows where they all are. He cares about them because he made them. Then he says, why, even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. You might think, Jesus, you just said, fear God. Now you're saying, don't fear God. What what are you doing? Well, here's the thing. Yes, fear God if you are on the wrong side of his mercy. If you have never experienced forgiveness for your sins, fear God. But there is great mercy in a heavenly father who loved you. And I want to say a word. Some of you have not had good fathers. Some of you may have had abusive fathers. Some of you, a father is not a figure that that you immediately say, thank God that God is a father. The thing is, God is a good father. That's why we love to sing that song. He's a good, good father. He's not like human fathers who have failures. But if you think of the best of fathers, someone who is a good father, someone who loves to provide for his children, who loves to play with them, who loves to teach them, that's what God is like. He loves to give life. He loves to provide joy for his children. And Jesus is assuring you, your father loves you. See, a lot of us are tempted at times to deny Christ because we want to be liked. You want to be accepted by the people around you. You want to be loved. And Jesus is saying, your father loves you. Your father loves you. That need is already met in the father if you only knew him. If you only knew him better and experienced his love. And and some of us are tempted not to deny Jesus in in a way that we're under some peer pressure or something like that. But but life gets hard. And sometimes you just want to cheat a little. You want to just break some of these rules so that you can enjoy something that your father says is bad for you. And so the temptation is, God doesn't really love me. So I'm just going to go do this thing that he says is wrong. Jesus says, don't do it. Don't be a hypocrite. Your Father loves you. Your needs are met in God. Seek Him first and all these things will be added to you. So know that your Father loves you. Number four, not only does your Father love you, but your denial is dangerous. So Jesus goes back and forth between there are negative consequences for sin, there are awesome blessings for obedience. And here he goes back to a warning. He says, your denial is dangerous. Look at verses 8 through 10. He says, I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before man, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God, and there will be joy. Jesus will tell the story of how you faithfully stood for him, and people will rejoice. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Verse 10, and everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Your denial is dangerous. There are consequences, possibly eternal consequences, for saying no to Jesus Christ. And I just want to plead with you this morning. If you don't know, if you're right with God, make today the day that you confess your sins and find forgiveness and tell me before you leave, you know, I need to be baptized in obedience to Jesus. I want to give my life to him and we will do that next week. I promise. Make sure that you're right with God. Don't resist him. Your denial is dangerous. So don't be a hypocrite. Be faithful to Christ. Lastly, 
Jesus promises, the Holy Spirit is with you as you stand on trial for Jesus. So look with me at the last couple of verses here. Verse 11 says, And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Jesus promises that God Almighty in the person of the Holy Spirit is with you. You know, you and I, we, we don't stand on trial the way they did then. Stephen is someone that experienced this. Stephen stood trial and, and the Holy Spirit taught him how to speak. But we do, in a sense, stand on trial when we're with unbelieving relatives. When you're with family, a father, a mother, maybe a spouse, maybe maybe. Cousins or uncles or aunts or whatever it is. Maybe neighbors. You, you are on trial as you represent Christ everywhere you go. And Jesus says, not only do you not need to be afraid because your father loves you, you don't even need to worry about what to say. Seek the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Ask for the wisdom of God and open your mouth and testify for Jesus. The Holy Spirit, God Almighty, is with you and will teach you what to say. So there's no reason to be afraid and there's no reason to be a hypocrite. The question is, what do we do with this? Well, if you already know God, Christian, be comforted by God's love. Know how much your Father loves you and be a faithful witness. Love God with all of your heart and let that love shine through. Guard your heart from things that make you love God less, whatever they are. Be faithful to Christ and be bold when you witness to your family or to anyone. And I'll remind you again, like James said, ask for wisdom. God will give it to you and the Holy Spirit can and will speak through you when you need to tell someone about Jesus Christ. He loves you. He gave himself for you. Will you be faithful to him? Let's pray. As we close today, I want to give you an opportunity if the Holy Spirit has convicted your heart, if, if you know that you are a sinner and need forgiveness, tell God that. Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead. Your sins are paid for by the blood of Christ. Ask God to forgive you. And if you've done that, would you tell me today before you leave? If you are a new believer, you need to be baptized in obedience to the teaching of Christ and show that you are trusting that Jesus died for you and rose from the dead and that because you died with him, you will live with him. And I would ask that you'd come talk to me about that before you leave today. If you need to confess hypocrisy, ask the Father to forgive you. He loves you. He will forgive you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we are so thankful for the love that you've given us, for the care that you continue to give us. God, I ask that that love would keep us faithful until we see Jesus Christ face to face. And we will praise you for all of eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. I would ask that if you prayed to be forgiven for your sins and you need to be baptized, please talk to me before you leave today. And I want to leave you with a verse 
at the very end of the book of Hebrews with all its warnings. Hebrews is such an encouraging book. And the writer says this, Now may the God of peace, he's a God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace.